maincf.org. Support for WERU also comes from Woodlawn Museum, Gardens, and Park, 180 acres of an estate located near downtown Ellsworth, 667-8671 or woodlawnmuseum.com. The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, cooperative ownership of businesses by employees isn't new, but it's fairly rare. So when owners of three key community enterprises on Deer Isle decided to retire, the opportunity for employees to purchase and operate them seemed like a dream. But with advice and counsel from the Cooperative Development Institute, the Independent Shared Services Cooperative, and others, those dreams became a reality this year. And this morning, we'll learn more about um, the uh, Island Employee Cooperative on Deer Isle as a case study and the, the services of both the uh, Cooperative Development Institute and the um, Independent Retailers Shared Services. I believe we have Mark Sprackland on the line. Um, he's with the Independent Retailers Shared Services Cooperative. Welcome to you, Mark. Thank you. Thank Gla you for having us. Glad you can be here. Um, uh, Mark is joined here in the studio by Rob Brown. Uh, Rob has um, been a guest on Talk of the Towns before. He's the Director of uh, Business Ownership Solutions within the Cooperative Development Institute. Welcome to you, Rob. Thanks for having us. And we're especially glad to have Alan White here. Alan is president of the Island Employee Cooperative on Deer Isle. Welcome to you, Alan. Thank you for having us. That's great. Well, let's get started um, by learning um, uh, both from Rob and then uh, from Mark a little bit more about uh, cooperatives. Uh, um, Rob, give us some, some background on, on cooperatives and how they, they're a form of business ownership. Yes, they are. I mean, that's the thing to remember at, at root. Uh, they're a type of business, uh, a, a type of ownership of businesses that serve the needs of members. Uh, so you have different types of cooperatives, but at root they are uh, businesses that are formed by people, uh, jointly owned, democratically controlled to serve the needs, uh, whatever those needs may be, of the members. So just as a few examples, consumer cooperatives, I think people tend to be most familiar with, that's an example of a food co-op, like the Blue Hill Co-op or the Belfast Co-op, uh, where the the members are the people who shop there, the people mm. who want access to the goods and services provided by those cooperatives. Uh, from amongst those members, they elect a board. The board hires a general manager, and the manager runs a store and is held accountable for that. Uh, so a few other types of cooperatives, just to ground this, 
a bit. Uh, there are producer cooperatives. So, for example, a dairy cooperative might be a group of dairy farmers, independent dairy farmers, who jointly own and control a milk processing and distribution facility. Uh, the, it's, it's owned by those farmers to benefit them and their operations. Uh, another uh, unique form of cooperative that uh, Cooperative Development Institute works on uh, are called resident-owned communities. So these are mobile home parks uh, where we work with the residents to form a cooperative, a resident-owned community, uh, and they buy the park from the investor owner and run it uh, for their benefit. They mm -hmm. own their home, they lease their land, but instead of leasing that land from uh, from from an outside owner, they lease it from a cooperative, which they are a shareholder in. Mm. So those are just a few different types of cooperatives, and obviously we're going to get into talking about worker cooperatives as well today. And, and then, one, one of the other cooperatives that uh, many people, I think, if I'm right, is uh, Ocean Spray. Ocean Spray is a producer cooperative. Oh, so so yeah. people would, would recognize Ocean Spray, but, but they might not know, because it's on their grocery shelves, that it's a cooperative ownership. That's exactly right. There's There are a lot of cooperatives that people purchase their products and they don't realize it. Cabot is mm. also, uh, Cabot Creamery is also a cooperative. It's uh, produced milk and cheese and uh, it's the dairy farmers who uh, own that company. Uh, and Ocean Spray is another example. And there are quite a few. Mm. And along the coast, um, uh, we were speaking before the show, Alan, you were f you're familiar with the Stonington Lobster Co-op um, as, a, as a way of, of uh, um, fishermen coming together. And uh, tell us a little bit about um, that as an organization. What, what, what can you remember about that? Well, you know, the whole time I was growing up, and even to this day, they've been viable. They've seemed to have done well. A lot of fishermen belong, you know, to the Stonington Lobster Co-op, and it's run similar to the way that our business is run with a board of directors, with a manager. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then to do well, right? So um, for um, Stonington, having a an active co-op since I think you said 1943, maybe helps people understand that oh, this is this is a way of doing business. Well, let's hear from Matt, Mark uh, Sprackland. Um, Mark is executive director of the Independent Retailers Shared Services Cooperative. So it's a cooperative, but you're helping cooperatives come into being. Mark, tell us a little bit about your own background and and um, your organization. I've been in the supermarket industry for about 35 years. I've worked for some large corporations, Hannaford, Super Value, Bazudos out of Cheshire, Connecticut. I've been a buyer for the military system, DECA, and also um, been in the distribution and, frankly, was um, the former president of Associated Grocers of Maine. I left AG of Maine prior to uh, the demise of the company um, back uh, four years ago, um, actually moved on. I, I was recruited to turn the company around, which I did, but decided to move on and pursue other opportunities. And um, unfortunately for, for the retailers in the state of Maine, Associated Grocers of Maine was a cooperative-owned distribution, uh, grocery distribution uh, network, if you will, um, that supplied independence throughout the state. And when they went into receivership, I received a, a call from Rick Gow, who was a member and that retailer, um, very upset and concerned about what happened to the organization and how we could potentially come together and create an organization that would be the advocates for independence throughout the state of Maine. And we've actually gone into Massachusetts now and, and Connecticut. So we're, we're a service cooperative. We provide technical assistance for independent, privately owned um, grocery stores. 
and convenience stores. Mm. And we've created, you know, partnerships with, with some vendors like Garber Brothers out of, of Massachusetts and, um, and other suppliers, and we're providing technical assistance. Uh, basically, what we offer our members is a business assistance in how to make adjustments to the quickly, rapidly changing marketplace and industry. Um, we provide marketing assistance that complements our our retailers, suppliers, merchandising programs today. Most of our, our members have a primary supplier, like a Bazudos or an AG of New England uh, or a CNS or a Hannaford Wholesaler that supply them groceries. We're here to complement and really be the advocate for our members to ensure that they're optimizing all the various programs and to provide technical assistance and in-store training that's not necessarily provided by the primary suppliers that I've just mentioned. Mm. So what, you, I, what I hear you saying is that there's, there's a kind of an advocacy role for your members um, so that um, it's not that Hannaford or others would necessarily take advantage of, of individual stores, but um, they have a lot of, of, of power, so to speak. So you're kind of trying to equalize the playing field a little bit. Exactly. You know, everyone that I just mentioned, all the primary suppliers, all fill a role in, in the supply network, and they're all very well-run organizations. You know, Hannaford in particular, AG New England, Bazudo, CNS, uh, and Garber Brothers as well. They, they're very focused on and supporting independent retailers. Um, but this business has become so fragmented, and, and um, our, our niche is, is custom marketing based on a particular store's individual needs. And these organizations that I mentioned, uh, they're a diverse group of companies, you know, from Connecticut to Vermont and New Hampshire to, of course, Hannaford's located in Maine. But they're busy, and, and they have limited resources that are actually on the ground. And, and that's, that's the void we fill. We're there to ensure that we're not there to get in the middle of those relationships. We want to enhance the relationships so that everyone sells more cases. Great. We are clearly focused on, on preserving and securing the independent business. As most folks know, independent retailers were invented the supermarket industry back in the 30s, and it's become a very fragmented business with uh, dollar stores, with Walmart, with Save-A-Lot, um, in different formats, fresh formats as well. And they're getting squeezed out, and uh, it certainly was a concern of mine. It was a very real eye-opener when you know AG Maine closed that that uh, there weren't enough resources really dedicated to uh, support those that really needed, and that's the family business. And certainly, you know, the co-op model, I've worked closely with Rob and, and his organization, mentored our organization from the, you know, I was the founder, um, but we've been working closely for three years now on structuring our organization, and obviously we work together on incorporating the folks up in Stonington, and Rob and I are involved in helping them manage the, the business enterprises there for the next five years forward. Great. Um, Rob, give us some, some additional kind of advantages, um, how you see it, um, to the cooperative form. What are some of the things that benefit um, both the, the owners, whether they are um, consumers or producers or employees, and what, what um, are some of the advantages to the community that those co-ops live in or reside in? Well, the, the first benefit of the cooperative, as we discussed earlier, are, is to the members of the cooperative. So. <clears throat> you know, in a, in a worker cooperative, the first purpose uh, of that business is to serve the needs of the employees who own that company. Now, that could be for uh, those needs are obviously for employment, a job. Uh, it could be the quality of the job. Uh, it could be uh, the use of the profits to deliver better services, 
to uh, uh, deliver patronage, which are you know, the, the, what you do with profits in a cooperative, uh, go back to the members. Uh, so, so you're still making a profit. There's no the, the yeah. co-ops um, are meant to make a profit. Yes, I <laughs> said it once already. I say it again. I'll probably say it a few more times. Co-ops are a business. Right. Um, they are a form of business, and first and foremost, you must run a good business, mm. or else you have no cooperative by definition. Mm. So it's always important to remember that. I think people wrap up a lot of uh, different beliefs and values systems into what cooperatives can be and are, and those are all good. But uh, again, it's it's just really important to remember that if you do not have a viable business, then you will not, by definition, have a viable cooperative. Mm. Uh, so, as far as community impact, uh, the value of cooperatives are that uh, uh, they are rooted in that community because the members are from that community. So, if you look at a business like the Belfast Co-op, for example, uh, they really are more than just a local grocery store uh, or even a particular type of grocery store, Whole Foods type store, uh, they're a community institution. Uh, they take seriously their role of community education, community engagement, uh, and support for various initiatives that go on within the community of Belfast, but also mm -hmm. the larger Waldo County community. Certainly the same goes uh, for the Island Employee Cooperative, where you have a much more remote and uh, 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 community of St uh, Stonington and Deer Isle, where it's the only grocery store's uh, that you can shop at for 25 miles. Uh, it's the only pharmacy. It's uh, a lot of different goods, craft, supplies, hardware items. Uh, they're available at VNS Variety. These are the only places you can get these items. So the idea of sort of a grocery store being a community institution is literal uh, in a community like that uh, because otherwise they'd be driving to Blue Hill or to uh, uh, Ellsworth or somewhere else uh, to meet those needs. and. That's hard enough in the summertime, <laughs> but in the wintertime, it can be a real challenge. Mm. Uh, so in terms of meeting community needs, that really is a large part of what uh, cooperatives exist to do. Alan, let's bring you into the conversation. Um, you've worked for um, the uh, previous employer for a number of years, 23, did you say? 33. 33? Um, and what, what was your role, and when then did you hear that there may be a sale um, well, 33 years ago, I began uh, working in the Balaban. I worked there for five or six years, and then I came inside and worked on the floor for five or six years. And then, and what, wait, what kind of things were you doing at that? Putting point? away freight, okay. uh, bagging groceries, taking care of vendors, things a like anything that. that needed to be done. Right. Yeah. And then I uh, had the opportunity to learn the meat cutting. So I became a meat cutter and eventually became the meat manager. And that's my everyday job now still is cutting meat and, and running the meat department at uh -huh. Burnt Cove in the galley. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So when did you hear that um, the owner may, may be interested in selling and, and that you, know, you were concerned as an employee and so were your other employee colleagues? Uh, probably a year and a half ago maybe uh, the rumor began spreading. Vendors were coming in saying that another store owner was interested in buying the stores. And uh, Then last July, probably the middle of last July, Vern gathered all the people he considered to be his top leaders, department heads, and 
put us all together in a room and, and told us that yeah, he was selling the stores and that it was their desire to form a cooperative so he could sell the businesses to his employees. Mm. Mm. So that began the process, and I think about three weeks after that, we met Rob, and uh, CDI was the one was the company that came in and really directed us through the initial stages, you know, of uh, writing uh, our bylaws and doing our articles of incorporation. Rob led us through all of that, and that took a a lot of work and a, and a long time to do that and Mark and, and his company uh, came on board and CEI led the charge on finding the money. Uh, it took longer than what we all, I thought, expected but when you go to bankers and say give me millions of dollars and, but I don't have any money to give you <laughs> to start, a lot of banks say oh you got, this is a great thing you guys are doing but it's just not something we can get involved in. So, mm -hmm. but in the end, you know, we finally got it pulled together. And where do you ha suppose Vern had the idea that he might like to sell to employees? Was that something he came up with, or how did how did he kind of envision that happening? Anybody know? This is Mark. I I, I would like to answer that. Yes. I actually Vern was a member of our shared service cooperative, and um, when we learned that he wanted to sell his business, um, I went up with a. Uh, um, an individual that Vern had a high regard for, a personal friend and business colleague, and and we discussed the idea of selling the businesses to his employees. Mm. Uh, we met with him and his wife, Sandra, and it was well-received. And then shortly thereafter, as I mentioned before, and I've been working closely with the Cooperative Development Institute, um, I contacted Rob, and the same individual that I went up with met with, with Vern and Sandra and Rob. And as Alan articulated from that point forward, um, CDI was instrumental in, in helping them create their corporation. And then my role was to, with Rob and everyone's help as well, take the lead on the business plan. Yep. Uh, it was important that we demonstrate to the lenders, as Alan clearly articulated, there was no uh, money going into this deal from the buyer's perspective in terms of collateral. So we had to demonstrate that we had a solid plan forward let me just remind listeners um, that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about cooperatives as a way of retaining local businesses and jobs. And you've just heard on the, on the phone with us is Mark Sprackland, Executive Director of the Independent Retailers Shared Services Cooperative, talking about his role helping um, Alan White and others. Um, Alan is the president of the Island Employee Cooperative in Deer Isle. And also with us here in the studio is Rob Brown, Director of Business Ownership Solutions with the Cooperative Development Institute, or CDI. And uh, Rob, um, why don't you pick up the story from there? How um, how did you kind of help um, the employees kind of come together and, and figure out the, the organization of their co-op? Yeah, um, t just taking one short step back, uh, I would stress the, I, I think it's a great demonstration of the value of cooperatives as a complement to uh, a well-functioning economy. I mean, if you think of a well-functioning economy, particularly in a smaller rural state like Maine, if you think about it in terms of an ecosystem where mm. you just have a dense network of relationships, uh, customers, businesses, particularly in Maine where you have such small businesses and so many of them, uh, the value of someone uh, like Mark and what he did with the, the retailers cooperative 
knowing Vern, these are all relationships. Yes. They're not, it, it's not transactional. Right. Uh, they're really built on relationships, long-standing relationships, uh, which Mark and uh, uh, his colleague Tim had with Vern already. So there was a relationship there, an established level of trust, uh, and really that's, that's where uh, this, going back to your question about cooperatives, mm. that's another area where I think cooperatives are just very different from traditional business models is there's just a very high value placed on trust and the relationships between people, both as members in a cooperative and also between uh, what those members do for the larger community that they exist within. So I think that's the way this came about is an excellent example mm. of that. Uh, to your question about uh, how some of the nuts and bolts of how we did that, uh, you know, Vern, uh, uh, Vern sealed the, uh, the guy who started these businesses and ran them so well for so many years, 43 years, uh, brought, uh, brought the, uh, as Alan said, some of his key folks together, had me come up, sit with them for a couple hours, uh, and just really do <clears throat> an overview of here's what a worker co-op is, here's what the structure looks like, there's some variation there, but generally here's what it is. Here's a little bit of how, how we see possibly this happening. Uh, and it's important to stress, and I think I was pretty clear in that first meeting and every meeting thereafter, that this was uncharted territory. Um, the idea of taking these three existing fairly complex businesses, large businesses, a lot of employees and merging them into one entity and then creating a transaction into a worker cooperative has not been done before. Uh, so we were all sort of sailing in uh, somewhat scary waters, and there was we all learned a lot as we as we went, every one of us. Mm. Uh, so from Alan, that point forward, I'll just get some reaction from Alan. Alan, what what do you remember about that first meeting? What were some of your the questions that you had, or some of your colleagues, uh, other employees had? Get right there, close to that microphone. Uh, I remember that Rob would never give me the answers I wanted. <laughs> What what answers did, did you want? Well, I wanted to know where the money was going to be to run the businesses. Okay, yeah. And he kept just kind of sidestepping that and putting it off. And, I mean, now I understand why he did what he did. But it was it was hard on all of us because we were, had a lot of questions. and But we got answers in steps. And I think when Rob felt it was time to tell us something, and he would tell us, but he was going to tell us until he was, <laughs> felt it was time. Right, right. So that was really frustrating for uh -huh. us who were on the steering committee, you, you know, working with Rob. Um, like you said before, he's had a lot of experience with different types of cooperatives. We'd had no experience, had no clue what we were doing, and now that we look back on some of the decisions we've made, uh, we uh, begin to think that maybe we didn't make good decisions sometimes. Well, that so now that we've had the experience right. of going through the whole process, that that might have been some things we would have done differently. That seems to me the perfect example of how businesses of of any kind um, improve. You learn from your your you could call them mistakes, but you learn from what you did, and then you then you do something different as a result. So um, you you first created some kind of a steering committee, I assume made up of all of the three businesses, and that's Burnt Cove Market, VNS Variety, and the pharmacy, and the galley. So yes. you must have come together as, as three different entities to try to begin to form one entity. Yeah, yeah. So, Rob, take it, take it the next step. Yeah. Um, 
the, as, as Alan said, <clears throat> with uh, in, in forming the cooperative, there needed to be, because um, as he said, there, there was a lack of understanding about the particulars. I mean, being able to very simply reference, say, the Stonington Lobster Co-op. You know, here's a community institution. It's been here since 1948. You understand sort of what a co-op is. The lobstermen own it. It's there for their benefit. If there's profits, the lobstermen, it goes back to the lobstermen. Right. You get the concept. Right. You know, concepts only take you so far, right? <laughs> so, in real life, um, so there was just a tremendous education process that needed to go on. Uh, and to be clear, for all of us, as I said, I mean, it was really for all of us. And 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 to be fair, there were a lot of times when questions were asked, and I just couldn't answer them, or didn't have a good answer, or it, the answer that I had, I knew was going to shift hmm. Uh, hmm. Uh, quickly sometimes. So that was why, in order to keep. Uh, the process moving somewhat methodically. You just kind of had to pace how you introduce new issues uh, because every issue requires a conversation to deal with mm. and come up with a conclusion, uh, an answer. So we we did that education process. The actual act of incorporating the cooperative uh, required quite a bit of time because you have to put together articles of incorporation, which you then file with the Secretary of State, just like if you incorporated any other business in the state of Maine. Uh, and then the bylaws by which uh, the the cooperative would run. Um, what happens to the profits? What what does it mean to be a member? Who is a member? All of those questions get answered very thoroughly in the bylaws. So I believe the bylaws are something like twenty some odd pages long, and it really addresses mm. what is this entity? Who owns it? How do they own it? How much does it cost to own it? How do they div divest themselves of it? All of those questions are answered thoroughly in advance. That takes a lot of time to sort. Of and think through all those issues. And we did that, and it took two to three months. Uh, and at that point, there was a legal entity to actually enter into a essentially a purchase and sale agreement mm. with the current owners. But that's mm. what we had to do to create a legal entity to even start the process of the transaction. Mm. And, and Alan, um, how are you structured now? What, what, if we were to um, ask you to draw the chart of how um, um, the Island Employee Cooperative looks today, what would we see? What would we see in, in the relationships between key key people and the rest of the employees, and how would it look? Well, we have a very elaborate, we call it the flow chart, yeah. and that lays out the whole structure of the three businesses all under the IEC. Uh -huh. uh, we have a manager in each store, and we have a board of directors and we have Rob and we have Mark who are working with us. We have an accountant out of Connecticut that is, that is helping us. So that's, that's the basic structure. The managers run the businesses on a day-to-day -day basis and the board of directors has the final say. If there are problems or real issues that come up, then it, then it would go before the board of directors. And who sits on the board? What kinds of people? Not not by name. Uh, mostly department heads and managers. Okay. Yeah. Are on the board. And how often do you meet? Just about every week. Okay. And you know when we were organizing, we we're meeting sometimes two and three times a week. Right. And I assume you're getting kind of uh, just like a um, manager of a, a for-profit business, uh, or excuse me, a, a non-cooperative business. You're getting some kind of reports back from each department or each each store. And that's how you're kind of saying, how, how are we doing? Yes, well, 
you know, we're doing inventory every two weeks in the perishable departments. And all that information is going to our accountant in Connecticut, and he's putting together reports. Great. And, and, and Mark, to bring you back in, um, we'll keep you on just a few more minutes, uh, Mark, because I'm going to open up the phone lines for listeners as well. But, Mark, um, what's your role at this point, and what's, what's the, the role of the Independent Retailers Shared Services Cooperative? Well, we're involved five years forward in, in managing the operations and, and also working closely. I attend most of the board meetings as well. Uh-huh. I'm up there frequently a couple of days a week. And, and um, in writing the business plan, we were um, mentored by Coastal Enterprises, and we've actually developed each business as its own entity tied back to one financial reporting matrix. Okay. Um, and so I'm working closely with them on the financials and on the supply side, the supply chain ensuring that we optimize the marketing dollars that are available and that the stores are merchandised. Uh, we, we plan some extensive remodels and, and resets in, in terms of re-merchandising the stores. I think there's a huge opportunity to improve the product mix and to address some of the, 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 ch- the changes you know, with respect to consumer buying patterns, uh, healthy eating, uh, local products. Uh, we want to put a strong focus next year on on re-merchandising the stores and, and really supporting the local You say suppliers. re-merchandising. You, you may have to explain that. That sounds like a jargon term. So for our listeners, what's re-merchandising? Well, re-merchandising <laughs> is looking at each store and, and determining what products are absolutely necessary and then where there's duplication. You know, category management is about being in multiple categories, but it's not necessarily means that you need to carry five different sizes of Tide laundry detergent. Okay. Uh, you have to carry the different variants. There's, you know, tied with bleach, free and clear, and and um, fragrance, different things like that. But but you don't need to have all the duplication. So uh-huh. by looking at the assortment and optimizing the assortment in the stores based on demands and industry trends, you know, our plan is to integrate more local products, especially you know during the summer time frame when there's a, an influx of of tourism and folks that have that tend to have more discretionary income. And we, we believe this obviously will help the stores in their growth in terms of sales volume, but it's also going to help the local producers in the state of Maine. Great. There are a number of producers on the island that actually produce products that today aren't carried in these stores. Mm. And our goal is to introduce those items you know, very strategically uh, to ensure that uh, we optimize the sales and the profitability forward. And as um, you said earlier, you're you're um, helping um, stores and entities um, throughout Maine and into um, other states as well. How would people learn more about your services? Do you have a website? Um, how would they learn more about Actually, you? Um, our website is being underdeveloped, and, and, and certainly um, they, they can contact uh, myself, Mark Spracklin, uh, at 603-706-0868. Our website will be public in about a month uh-huh. or so. Uh, just just to let you know, uh, one initiative that we're really excited about, we've been working closely with CEI and an organization out of Lewiston, Grow LA, and we're going to actually be developing and opening up a learning center at the old Bates Mill 5. Hmm. And this center is going to be designed to help independents that want to learn a particular skill set within the grocery store, but also we're going to develop a concept store that we believe that would be taken throughout Maine and beyond Maine. And so if folks want to get into the store, we'll actually help them in terms of writing their business plan. And with this marketplace, there's going to be an extremely strong focus on supporting local producers with a streamlined assortment. And your points about Ocean Spray earlier are just so well taken. They're a cooperative. Welch's, they're a cooperative as well. Both those companies source mean blueberries as an ingredient and put a lot of emphasis on, on the importance of, of buying local. That's what we're about. And we believe 
believe going forward we can enhance and, and help independents create a clear point of differentiation that will uh, set them clearly aside from, from the big box stores and, and the mass merchandisers as well. Great. Mark, thanks so much for taking time to be with us here on Talk of the Towns this morning. You're welcome. We really appreciate that. We're talking about cooperatives and how cooperatives can help retain local businesses and jobs. And as Mark Spracklin just explained, how they can perhaps um, buy local, um, buy products that uh, producers are, are uh, making but maybe not don't have the outlets. So getting them into local stores, independent stores, is a, is a way forward. Also here in the studio with us is Rob Brown, who's the uh, Director of Business Ownership Solutions with the Cooperative Development. Institute, and Alan White, who is president of the Island Employee Cooperative in Deer Isle. Um, um, we'll open up our phone lines now. If you've got questions for our guests or perhaps comments about uh, your experience with cooperatives or perhaps independent grocery stores, um, one 625 or locally 469 So, um, Alan, what's been the reaction in the, in the community um, of Deer Isle um, in terms of, of I, I'm sure that Anytime a store is rumored to be sold, people get nervous. But what's been the reaction to see um, the employee-owned cooperative? Uh, it's been very positive. I don't know how many people have come into the store and congratulated me and thanked us for what we've done. And they think it's just a wonderful thing that you know ownership is going to remain local and the stores pretty much you know are going to be run the same way they've always been run. Um, we've had a lot of people that have come in and offered help of different organizations and we had one woman who does fundraising instead of you know if you people ever want to raise money or open up your B shares for people to buy uh, I'd love to you know head that up for you and help you and we've had a lot of people come in that you know, they'd wanted to invest in the cooperative, but right now the only people who can own shares are the owner workers. Great. So it's it's been very positive. Great. And you said, um, again, talking a little bit before the show, that um, all of your colleagues, other employees and department heads, have had ideas, and now you've got a, a board of directors to help make those decisions, and you've got right. um, some counselors um, like Rob and, and Mark to can help you consider those ideas and put them in place. Right. Let's take a phone call from one of our listeners. Uh, you can participate in our conversation about cooperatives by calling one 625 9378 If you'd like to go ahead, please, with uh, perhaps your first name and the town you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment. Yes, it's Greg, and I'm calling from Sedgwick, and I wondered how you selected the board of directors. What was the process that you used? Great question. Thanks for, very much for your call. Go ahead, um, Alan. Uh, well, as I said, we had a steering committee, and we had 11, one person dropped off, and then uh, the man, the uh, deli manager at the galley, who's worked for Vern, I think, for 43 years, hmm. decided that that she didn't want to run for the board of directors. So that left us with nine, which is what is in our bylaws, is nine directors. So... The, all the owners had the opportunity, and there were a couple other people that ran too that hadn't been on the steering committee. So it was, it was all the owner workers 
that made the decision who the nine that were going to be on the board of directors. Were you looking for particular um, um, qualities, or um, what do you what do you sense people were looking for when they um, said, "I'm going to vote for this person as a director"? Um, a lot of the owners said, "We think that the steering committee has done a good job, and we want them to run our business." Great, and Great. that's why. The nine that had been on the steering committee were elected to be on the board of directors. Yeah. And nine seems like a good number, Rob. Why is that? What, 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 I mean, rather than 25, you know, what, what's, what, is nine a good number? Uh, it's, it's a good number. I mean, that's, a, <clears throat> that's pretty amorphous. Um, I think <laughs> anybody who's been involved in, in nonprofits or, or town council type or selectman type governance or, or uh, school boards, et cetera, knows that there's, there's some range of sweet spot between too few and too many right. in order to run things effectively. Yeah. Um, Alan spent many years on the school board down there, so uh, he had some really useful experience in just what it what a board is and how it's supposed to function, and so that was very useful experience, uh, as well as on some other boards. Um, so there's no magic number with nine. Right. It's not that specific number, but there is a range uh, that you have. And I would, just to follow up on what Alan said, I would, I would say the, I mean, the short answer is they were elected mm -hmm. uh, by okay. by the members. Yep. Uh, but it just so happens that the same folks who were on the steering committee were then elected to the board uh, because I think the uh, the members, uh, the worker owners, wanted first and foremost continuity. Yes. Um, you know, this was a new enterprise. There's a lot of complexities involved, and a lot of work went into it, and they just wanted that continuity. Right, and and Alan, what's um, what? <laughs> this is a, a surprise question. Are there some similarities between cutting meat and and being the president of a, an organization? What what are you bringing from that meat cutting experience? Because um, Rob's already said that you've been involved in in community organizations, but you know, um, meat cutting is a, is a special skill too. Uh, not really. You know, there's not really <laughs> much you can pay for meat cutting to being president. I think it's it's uh, I consider it to be an honor to have been selected and, and a tremendous responsibility. And my goal obviously is to return as much money as I can to those owner workers at the end of this year. Right. So again, d just to be clear, owners owner workers are getting um, a salary for their jobs. Right. And then you're hoping to return what would, in a, in a normal business would be called profits, and you call them shares. Is that how that works? Patronage. Pa Patronage. Patronage. Okay, good. We have another phone call. Let's uh, go ahead. If you'd give us your first name and – oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have uh, Jonah. Jonah is on the line. Okay. We'll come to Jonah in just a minute. Sorry about that. Um, um, other reactions? Um, how about, how about the, the, uh, the employees that aren't um, directors – how have they seen things going? You've been in operation for um, about six months. Uh, I think as we went through this whole process, they were very interested. Um, we felt it was important to try to keep things contained in the committee as we went. Um, they didn't really understand what was taking us so long. Why, sure. you know, why have, when is this, is this ever going to happen? Right. Are we going to get this done? And I said, yes, but I said, it's, it's very complex and it takes a lot of time. And, uh, they're still interested, you know, because we have the meetings right in the store. So if you get downstairs and, uh, you know, people are asking how, you know, what, you know, what did you talk about tonight? What's going on? How things are going? How are we doing? Right. 
And so they're interested. Good. So that question, how are we doing? Um, do you suppose that um, workers ask Vern that question, how are we doing? Or is that something new that people are saying, oh, how are we doing? <laughs> There's a difference, isn't there? Yes, there is. You know, they're totally invested. Right. You know, it makes a difference. I don't care how... Uh, you, how hard you work to try to do a good job when at the end of the year you're an owner. It may be only one forty second or whatever, but, you know, you have an opportunity to make more money. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of people tried really hard all the years they worked for Vern, but it, it's just different. That's, that's, that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. What would you add in terms of this experience and perhaps others? Were there um, particular um, hurdles that um, you mentioned this was the learning curve for everybody, uh, Rob? Um, Were there particular things that um, you think you're going to take forward um, from this experience and help other people think about? What were the lessons that you learned? Yeah, There's a lot of lessons learned. (laughs) Uh, I I think both with uh, the Island Employee Cooperative, uh, speaking directly toward that, the it's there's the value of feeling a sense of ownership and knowing that at the end of the year the profits of the business will go back to those owners the workers that obviously uh or perhaps not obviously impacts people's sense of their job and what they do when they show up to work mm. and when they're not at work uh because they're a business owner now not just cl- uh, punching a clock um, but there's more to it than that with the the idea of trying to establish an ownership culture with folks. Uh, and any any worker owner there could be a, a board member. So if people want to run for the board, whether they're a cashier or a bagger or a department head or, uh, or anyone else, uh, so that opportunity is there. And everybody has something to offer. So part of what we will do is do that education process with new folks who want to join the board to help get them up to speed. And, and again, but the continuity is important. So, you know, we wouldn't have a wholesale change in the board of directors. It would be a few mm-hmm. new members every mm-hmm. year, perhaps. Uh, so that is important, too, that sense of ownership and that ownership culture and how it impacts people, not just with the profits, but with their sense of self and their sense of place in that business. Mm. And then also with the community. Um, I think the community members, uh, Vern is a, a longstanding great member of that community. He was one business owner, uh, and he did well for himself. Uh, over many years, but now there are just a whole group of people who are long-standing members of that community, and you know, amongst all of them, there's probably aren't there probably aren't many people on the island that they're not either neighbors with, friends with, related to. Uh, so again, thinking about going back to that ecosystem analogy, it really embeds uh, that dispersed ownership really embeds these businesses as institutions into the broader community uh, in a new way. So, Alan, it, it, you know, it's our store. It's the owner employees, but there's a sense that Rob is saying it's the community store, uh, you know, these the, this business because of all these relationships and and people rallied around to say yes, this is important. We want to make sure it works. Yeah, let's take another phone call. Not uh, we will uh, will hold uh, the call from Jonah Fertig in ju- for just a minute. But let's go ahead with another fo- uh, listener. Um, if you'd list your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, uh, Greg, again, a follow-up question to my uh, how did you select who was on the board of directors. I also want to just make a comment that I think it must take a very special owner like Vern and his wife uh, to be open and willing uh, to share 
the profits of his uh, work, his hard work over 40 years, in order to make something like this happen. And in a small town, that might be more apt to happen than in a larger town, and thus uh, this area in Maine itself and small towns might be more open to this kind of progressive uh, movement in business. Well, great. Thanks for that, that extra comment. Thanks for calling back. Let's uh, um, hear from uh, Jonah Fertig. And, and uh, uh, Rob, maybe you can introduce Jonah, and then we'll get him um, on the phone here. Yeah. Uh, Jonah is someone I've known for a little while. Uh, he uh, had the experience of, uh, and certainly I can let him be, speak for yes. himself, but he uh, founded Local Sprouts in Portland, uh, which is, I would say, sort of the first modern worker co-op in Maine. Uh, and has tremendous experience in doing that. Local Sprouts is a, a, a restaurant, catering company, entertainment space in Portland. Uh, he's moved on to do a number of other great initiatives having to do with lo- promoting local food systems and using the cooperative model uh, as, as a model for doing that. Uh, and he also does some work with CDI uh, as well. So, Well, great. Uh, Jonah, welcome to Talk of the Towns this morning. Thanks for taking time. Tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, starting with Local Sprouts and and the work that you're doing now. Hey, well, thank you so much for having me on the radio. It's been been listening to it here. I live down in Arundel, uh, so I'm listening to it in southern Maine. It's been great to hear um, everyone's conversation and, and really be the inspiration from the Island Employees Cooperative. I just got the opportunity to meet them last week and it's really inspiring to hear more of the story and and to see that example um, being shared here in Maine for our communities. Um, So yeah, a little bit about Local Sprouts. I um, was working in a variety of different nonprofit settings and also working um, professionally in in restaurants and in food service. And I was looking for a way to um, bridge both kind of doing community work and, and doing work that was empowering our community in Portland and the professional work I did as a cook um, and as a chef. And so out of that desire um, came Local Sprouts. We started in 2007, and there was just a few of us that started it. Uh, we really didn't know too much about running a business. Um, we were you know, interested in creating a community-based business, and that's what brought us to a cooperative model. And um, as workers, we wanted to create a business that empowered workers to have a voice and how the business was run and to really be directing that business moving forward. And on a personal level, I was not interested in trying to run a restaurant myself. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot of restaurant owners who were stressed out, were overworked, uh, and without much return. And so I really felt it was um, important to bring other people into this process and to work together to create a business that could uh, support us as workers and then be able to give back uh, to the community by uh, purchasing local foods from uh, local farms. And so we started in 2007. Uh, we started out doing catering, and we um, also, along with this process, we did a lot of learning programs as well, partnering with different schools and nonprofits to teach about cooking with local foods. And we started a community-supported kitchen where we had members that put down money and, and purchased from us once a week. And then in 2010, we opened up our cafe right in downtown Portland, and it was uh, really a community effort. Um, you know, I think, as was said earlier, the relationship aspect of cooperatives is really key, um, that it's, it's a, a process of working together in your community, working together with your fellow worker owners, and just um, building on those relationships that can be established over time to, uh, to bu- generate that support. So we opened our cafe in 2010, and it's been, um, 
now four years in existence, and we started out with four worker owners. Uh, we now have um, there's 26 worker owners at local Sprouts, um, so it's really expanded and uh, really empowered a lot. There's particularly a lot of young people now that are involved that you know are, are getting into the workforce in their early 20s and are getting this experience of not just being an employee, but actually taking ownership and really understanding what that means. And so I'm really excited to see how those uh, newer, younger wor- worker owners will grow and, and be able to carry that experience into their life, um, you know, to be able to either stay at Local Sprouts or, or be able to essentially start other cooperatives as well. And you're kind of taking that message on the road, I understand, with a series of workshops um, down the coast uh, this summer as far as Eastport, and you're yeah. in, in Stonington as well. Tell us about those workshops. Yeah, so I, um, as Rob had said, I, I have moved now into doing cooperative development work uh, and really you know, looking to share the cooperative model with more people um, and to be able to support different communities and their work to develop cooperatives. And a lot of this came out of uh, my work with Local Sprouts and having people from around Maine and around the country coming to us and saying, hey, I'm inspired. I want to do something like you are doing. How can I do this? Uh, and so I really saw a need um, for more people on the ground uh, doing this work. And um, so I uh, decided to do a little tour this summer um, and, yeah, went up to, um, was in Vinyl Haven and presented there, um, went up to Eastport uh, and that was great up in Eastport. We had about 25 folks that came out to a, a vacant bank um, right da- in downtown Eastport and um, you know, really explored, okay, what, is, what do we want to create in our community? What are some of our needs in our community? And how can the cooperative model um, meet those needs? And I think that's something that you know, I really see there's a lot of really great potential in cooperatives is um, using the cooperative model to rebuild our, our food infrastructure, to rebuild our you know, the, the sustain, sustainability and resilience of our local communities because um, a, you know, a lot of businesses have left, a lot of jobs have left. And, um, you know, rather than trying to lure a big business, you know, from away to our communities, um, you know, there's a lot of possibility of investing locally and developing cooperatives. Um, and I think, you know, the thing that what's been great is when you invest in locally in the cooperative, it's able to then in that community as opposed to, you know, getting bigger and moving off, um, you know, elsewhere where there's maybe cheaper jobs or cheaper labor. Um, so, yeah, so went up to Eastport and then came back down, um, met up with the folks on the Island Employees Cooperative, which was very inspiring to see it in action. I've been following the progress over the past year and very exciting to actually meet meet all the folks there and um, or some of the folks and, the, and you know, just hear um, both, you know, what's what's working, some of the challenges, and, and, you know, be able to build that connection between the work that we're doing in Portland, some of the work that's happening nationally about worker co-ops, and what's happening in Stonington. Great. And uh, do you have other workshops on, on the docket for this summer? Um, I'm planning some more workshops. Uh, none of them are, are quite scheduled yet. Um, but, well, we're, Rob and I will be doing a workshop um, with a group of folks um, in the next week that's just kind of a, a private workshop. But then um, looking to do a workshop in Biddeford and um, in Lewiston, potentially in Skowhegan. Um, all those are still um, in, in the works. But I'm definitely, um, you know, this, this tour really gave me a lot of inspiration to kind of continue to, to reach out to communities. And I think a lot of it to me is how do we lay that seed and, you know, really, I mean, a lot of people have cooperative ideas, but they need that inspiration and support to be able to move those ideas forward. And I think, 
you know, definitely whenever I share the um, the island employees cooperative to other communities in Maine, people were really inspired, you know, really inspired to see, oh, wow, you know, people in Stonington did this, you know, and mm-hmm. this is something that, you know, we could do in our community as well. Great. Jonathan, uh, uh, Jonah, rather, how, how do people get in touch? Um, I have a website, cooperativefermentation.org, um, which is um, the project that I'm working, kind of fermenting, fermenting cooperatives, and also I do some fermented foods as well. Um, so cooperativefermentation.org. Um, and then um, you can also reach me um, there by email, um, which is Jonah, J-O-N-A-H dot Fertig, F-E-R-T-I-G at Gmail. And um, I'm totally open to, yeah, coming to other communities. And uh, one workshop that, um, public workshop that I'm working on this, this fall actually um, is a workshop that's specifically for farmers and food producers. Um, and so it was originally right. scheduled for October 4th. We might be moving it back to, I think, November 15th okay. um, up at Mofka. But that's going to be a great opportunity for farmers and food producers to explore the cooperative model as well. Great. Thanks so much for being with us here on Talk of the Towns this yeah, morning. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Great. We have another caller. Um, uh, if you'd give us your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, yeah, it's Jay Putnam from Brooklyn. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm really glad to hear this show. It does my heart such good to hear this is catching on. I, I, uh, I don't have much uh, local uh, 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 input, uh, but I wanted to uh, uh, get the name of the economist. I believe his first name is Richard Wolf. He's been on other other shows on this uh, station. From time to time, talking about uh, the mechanics of, of cooperative uh, organization in general, uh, talking about some of the other uh, places in other countries, such as the, the Mondegan Co-ops in, uh, in uh, northern Spain, uh, other places where uh, worker co-ops have got uh, organized to a, a, a very uh, uh, great extent, and uh, it, it's amazing how it can turn the place around. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's just such a right direction. Great. Happy Thank- to come to Blue Hill. Thanks. <laughs> or to... Thanks so much for your call this morning. So um, it seems like, um, um, Alan, you've had experience in local boards um, and and so on, and this notion of a nonprofit, everybody seems to say, oh, we want to do something in the community to make it better, let's create a nonprofit. It's it's kind of refreshing to say, well, let's make a profit too. Let's have an entity that that does things um, good for the community, but employs people and um, and does some good. Do you see some connection between the all of the nonprofits? You, you've got dozens of them on Deer Isle, and this notion of a worker-owned cooperative. Is this is this the future? What do you think, Rod or Alan? First, go ahead. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of. Companies like AG New England, for example, our warehouse. Um, a co- cooperative model is a great thing to take to owners when they're thinking about succession planning. Right. Because they look around and, you know, who's going to buy a grocery store? Somebody else who already probably owns grocery stores, who has run grocery stores, and, um, they're going to come in and, and look around, and they're going to start lowballing the owners. Whereas, if you can convince a group, core group of work of your workers, into 
the cooperative model and in doing that you know it's not only do you make a really good payday as the owner as you move into retirement but if you're in a community like Dare Isle it's it's a great thing in the community mm. Mm. to keep that business or businesses owned locally and it's you know it's a great thing for that to be able to do and it's something I think is real I think cooperative is are on the rise. Great. And, and it seems like the skills that you're learning aren't that much different than the skills that you already had as a community member. You know, it's, it's helping run meetings and helping make decisions, but um, it's adding a skill set that um, you and your other department heads or other employees already had. You already know how to run a grocery, grocery store. Right. And also, you've got such a broad perspective from the community and all the owners uh, it gives us a added advantage of being able to say, well, listen, yeah, we want to make some money, but we want the community to be involved in our businesses, and we want to do things in the community to to help people, and, and that's one of the things that we're reaching out. Right now, Rob and I are uh, working through uh, trying to... Um, make people aware of the cooperative. A cooperative is a, is a brand. Yeah. It's something that you can promote. And we're looking into taking the cooperative brand plus let's promote healthy lifestyle, let's promote healthy eating. You know, let's try to help diabetics, people with heart problems. Let's try to make our store a center for those type of people who have, you know, physical problems and concerns to be able to come and find what they need Great. to promote a healthy life. Great. And we're at the end of the hour. It's gone by so fast. Um, Rob, just contact information for Community Cooperative Development Institute. Uh, you can go to cdi.coop uh, is our website. Uh, and my information's there. And all the information about our program is there. Well, thanks to both of you for helping us understand cooperatives. And um, we've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension, which is not a co-op. It's, it's part of the University of Maine and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration began in, uh, with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Our programs are recorded um, and, and stored in our WERU ar archive, so you can listen again to this program or listen for the first time. Thanks to our, again to our guests in the studio, Rob Brown of the Cooperative Development Institute. Alan White is the president of the Island Employee Cooperative in Deer Isle. And Mark Sprockland was with us by phone, executive director of the Independent Retailers Shared Services Cooperative. We're also joined by Jonah Fertig, uh, one of the founders of Local uh, Sprouts. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. Uh, thanks to Dave Stoon for On the Wing. And don't forget Pledge Drive starts tomorrow, and that's where you can so show your support for programs like Talk of the Towns and all of the other fine music and public affairs programs. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from the Hamden Farmers